Hello, this is Pod Academy. Have you noticed over the past year or so that a number of health initiatives are being dropped by the government? Despite the obesity crisis, growing concern about alcoholism and worrying figures on diabetes, recommendations from health experts on food labelling, alcohol unit pricing and levels of sugar and salt in snacks and ready meals have been ignored or put on the back burner. Some, like minimum unit pricing for alcohol, were accepted by government but then quietly dropped. So what's happening? A headline in the Daily Mail perhaps holds a clue. It said this, How ministers caved into the alcohol lobby. 130 meetings with supermarkets and drinks firms and then they shelved plan for minimum alcohol price. The term used by some academics to describe how lobbying by big corporations can affect government policy is corporate capture. And corporate capture was the title of one of the workshops at a conference organised at the end of last year by MedAct, a UK charity for health professionals and medics. Professor David Miller of Bath University spoke about his research on lobbying by corporations at national and European level. One of the ways in which corporations have multiple voices is through their product lines. PepsiCo brands. Walker's Crisps, Tropicana, Doritos, Pepsi Max, 7-Up, Quaker Oats, Nobby's Nuts, Capella, Snacker Jacks, Red Sky, Sunbites, Scotch Porridge Oats. But that's not the only way in which corporations have multiple voices in policy processes and elsewhere. They also have multiple voices, for, and this is examples from the food industry, they also have multiple vo- corporate voices at the European level. For example, Business Europe, the business-wide Federation of Federations of uh, Business at the European level, or a food industry lobby group for the food industry across Europe, which is Food and Drink Europe, or a sectoral lobby group, the European Snacks Association. Anyone heard of that? Or a science and information group, UFIC, the European Food and Information Council, one of the most important science-related lobby groups at the European level, uh, working for the food industry and other similar sectors. Or we have the Elite Policy Planning Group, the European Roundtable of Industrialists. Many of you may not have heard of them, but that, this is a, an elite-level, corporate, CEO-level uh, policy planning group which tries to plan what the European Commission is going to do next. Or through a lobbying firm. I've given you Vevo Shanwick here. I could have any number of other lobbying firms active in Brussels and London and all around the world working directly for corporate clients. Or we can have another couple of ways into having a multiple voice. We can have the European Policy Centre, an independent think tank based in Brussels, right behind the European Parliament, above a rather delightful Irish pub, which is funded by a whole range of different corporations and works on behalf of the tobacco industry and the alcohol industry and a variety of other industries. Although, of course, if you were to say that to them, they would deny that. And then the International Science Policy Group, which works closely with UFIC, for example, is the International Life Sciences Institute. We may come back to that later. These are multiple ways in which corporations can get their voice heard at the European level. Here's some more EU examples. I want to give you an example, just an example of one corporation. Diageo. Walker Whiskey, Smirnoff Vodka, Guinness, Red Stripe, Moet and Chandon Champagne, Blossom Hill Wine, Bailey's, Gordon's Gin, Harp Lager, Dom Perignon Champagne, J&B Whiskey, Captain Morgan. Diageo uh, has uh, lots of whiskey companies. Bell's Whiskey, J&B, Johnny Walker, Bat 69, Old Par, Whitehorse, Craganmore, Glenelgan, Oban, Singleton of Dufftown, The Singleton, Callister, Dalwinnie, Glen Kinchy. 
Daggio uh, has uh, lots of whisky companies, 17 memberships in the Scottish Whisky Association, which is active as a lobbyist at the Scottish, UK and European level, quite active at the moment, uh, as we might see in a, a second. It also is a member of these trade associations, Spirits Europe, the European Transport Safety Council, or the Royal Federation of Advertisers. Did you know that Diageo is a member of that, along with many other large corporations? Or the European Sponsorship Association, a marketing trade association, all of which are or the Corporate Social Responsibility Venture, the European Forum for Responsible Drinking. And all of these organisations are members of the EU Alcohol and Health Forum. So how many voices is it that Diageo's now got? Quite a lot, right? In the European Alcohol and Health Forum. Do you know what the Alcohol, European Alcohol and Health Forum is? The European Alcohol and Health Forum is the partnership governance organisation of the European Commission. This is a body which is made up of European Commission civil servants and corporations, and it's a governmental body. So it's not just that the corporations have got voices trying to lobby the European Alcohol and Health Forum, they're actually inside it as well as members. They're actually directly making law as, as well as lobbying to, to make the law. So it's quite a number of different routes in. There are also other ways in, which are through more civil society sounding groups, groups which sound like they're independent of uh, Diageo, the International Centre for Alcohol Policies, key uh, alcohol and lobbyist, or something like the Weinberg Group, whose strapline is science minds over business interests. And they work for the, the tobacco industry and the alcohol industry and various other uh, industries which have significant consequences for public health. And then the European Policy Centre, uh, we mentioned a minute ago. And all of these are, are engaged in activities with the European Commission. I've given you a, a double line there for the European Policy Centre because it quite often is paid by the European Commission to do policy work as well as being paid by the alcohol industry. This is not a comprehensive survey of, of Diageo's connections, but you can see what I'm talking about here in terms of multiple co corporate voices. There are multiple ways in for the corporations. And you might think that civil servants would know this. We might not know it, but actually civil servants don't know it either, usually. Now, science and civil society capture. I've mentioned some think tanks. Uh, and think tanks are a really quite important element of, corporate, of co giving corporate voice to policy makers at the national and the supranational level. I'm going to give you some more examples. This is one which is, which is now defunct, the European Science and Environment Forum, defunct because it was exposed. To, uh, my colleague Tamsin from Spinwatch was talking about information being a great weapon against lobbying. Well, when you expose these organisations, quite often they, they cease to function. This was uh, set up by the tobacco industry with funding from the tobacco industry, but also from the chemical industry, uh, and campaigned against um, the precautionary principle campaign, which is still really very important at the European level as we speak. Or we can have uh, what seem like grassroots patient groups. Here's the example of Cancer United, set up with money from Roche and uh, run from uh, the offices of a lobbying consultancy uh, in Brussels. Or uh, one of my ex favourite examples, Toast, which is active at the European, the, the, the UK level. The Obesity Awareness and Solutions Trust, involved with the, um, inquiry, the government's inquiry into in obesity. It was involved as a, giving expert evidence. It was in receipt of many thousands of pounds from the Department of Health. Uh, it seemed to be a, a membership-based organisation. In fact, more than 70% of its budget, as we discovered, came from one particular diet company. So, again, a front group for particular diet companies. Or you've got UFIC, which is, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, engaged in, in scientific understanding of policy debates at Europe, but actually is a, a corporate lobby group with very close relationships uh, with the Commission and particularly with the European Food Safety Agency, or the ZILC. Cancer United, exposed in 2006 by The Guardian as being a, an astroturf group, fake grassroots 
toast exposed uh, in the Independent. Uh, MPs and peers who had once supported it say they were unaware of its substantial links with the Essex-based Lighter Life. I think some of them weren't, but I think some of them were. But they, nevertheless, once it was po- pointed out to them that this was a, a front group, several of them removed themselves from the charity. And for a period at least, uh, I'm sorry for making this joke, for a period at least, toast became toast. <laughs> The British Nutrition Foundation, active in this country since the 60s, uh, uh, simply a front for the big food, food industry manufacturers, but many of the people who, are, who work at the BNF are expert members of government committees uh, in this country. Still, to this day, it's the case that they are, they're um, active and are able to access government policy as experts as opposed to lobbyists, which is what they are. Or the Scientific Alliance, which many of you will know about, set up by the PR firm Foresight Consulting, run by a former advisor to Tony Blair, or the Scientific Alliance, which is there to challenge and inform a scientific debate, or in other words, to push pro-corporate science messages to the media and policymakers. Or the Social Issues Research Centre, which seems to be a kind of science related research centre, actually simply the wing of a marketing agency. And This is a piece from the BMJ, from Annabel Fenneman from a while ago. They used to say on their website, don't anymore. Do your PR initiatives sometimes look too much like PR initiatives? MCM Research, that's the other wing, conducts social psychological research on the positive aspects of your business. The results do not read like PR literature. If you like, they're scientific. Or ghostwriting, phenomenon um, uh, exposed over the last few years, where either ghostwriters are brought in from marketing of PR companies to write scientific papers to which uh, academics simply append their names or uh, engage in minimal rewrites before they're published. Uh, in some cases, uh, it's been the case that whole journals have been ghostwritten, so that whole journals which appear to be peer-reviewed and turn out not to be peer-reviewed in the end uh, have appeared. There was a whole series of them, in particular in Australia, which uh, were reviewed some time uh, ago. The, there's been significant cases, in particular one case in this country, of... Um, doctors being involved in, in ghostwriting. But what, what essentially what happens with ghostwriting is that you, you, get a, you get a paper delivered to you, you put your name on it, you get paid for it, and it appears as if the journal, the journal article has then been written by the scientist whose name is on it, as opposed to by the PR company working for the pharmaceutical or other company involved. You can su- supply yourself with ghostwriters by clicking on your mouse on the web. There's plenty of them about there. And that takes you to the, question, the whole question of uh, the, the falsification of, of communications. And I think that, uh, that's why I wanted to go on to talk about, about corporate capture of media. I want to use the example of the Science Media Centre. Uh, seems to be an independent body, claims to be an independence, independent. The independence of the Science Media Centre is critical to the work we carry out. We do not have any specific agenda other than to promote the reporting of evidence-based science. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a whistle-stop tour through this. Actually, funded by the corporations, they, they admit that. They say they, they limit the nations to 5%, so there's no specific corporate influence, i.e. Coca-Cola is not able to influence them, but they don't say that corporates can't influence their output. We've examined the whole of the, their website. This is a ranking of uh, the most uh, prominent scientists who are quoted on their website. I want to give you one example of this. They say that they quote scientists and engineers and bring them to, the, to media attention. We looked through quite a lot of the people. We looked at the, the top 50 people who have been quoted there, and we find that many of them weren't actually scientists or engineers. One, one example, my favourite example, because it's a, I have a personal connection to this particular example, he was cited 11 times in the, their website. He was a, a founder of Delta 5, a fantastic post-punk group, which most of you in the audience won't know about, and helped to set up Fast Product Records in Edinburgh, uh, from where I bought my first drum kit from him <laughs> in 1979. 
Uh, he donated to the Science Media Centre in 2003 and 2004. He's got a degree in music and an MBA, but he's got no science qualifications. The reason he, he's quoted by the Science Media Centre is that he was the head of the UK Bioindustry Association, and what's, what's the word for that? A lobbyist, not a scientist. So there are, there are significant issues with uh, the Science Media Centre, in particular in terms of, of corporate bias. The revolving door, this is the last section I wanted to go into. Um, the OECD talks about the revolving door and uh, disclosures of interest. Uh, I think I, slightly, I disagree with about the question of conflict of interest. Disclosing conflict of interest is not necessarily enough. And the OECD in particular is reasonable on this because it talks about managing and eliminating conflicts of interest. The EU institutions fail to take it seriously and in fact the Commission tries to pretend that it is actually working and uh, the rules are working and uh, conflicts of interest aren't, aren't a significant problem anymore. Uh, here's an example we came across recently. This is Director of European Trade, Business, Innovation and Skills. Recently announced he was going to be the new CEO of the Scotch Whiskey Association. Remember, 17 memberships of which have um, belonged to Diageo. He's currently involved at, in BIS in the minimum unit pricing policy. Takes up his new post in January 2014. So a, a significant issue of the revolving door at the UK and the EU level. So corporations have multiple access, multiple voices and points of access to policy at the Scottish, European, uh, British and the international levels. This partnership governance where corporations are directly involved in policy making heightens issues about, the, about transparency, conflict of interest and the revolving door. There's a need to ensure a level playing field, uh, which means really significant reforms of transparency legislation. That means mandatory registers of interest everywhere, much stricter regulations on the revolving door and conflict of interest. Uh, and it also, means, it also means that we need to resist the kinds of new legislation which will make it impossible for governments at national level or campaigning groups to, to enact new laws to protect public health or the environment because these will be seen as a, a deemed to be a, an infringement of free trade. And which is which is which is what TTIP is is uh, is for.